Today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, and let's pray um, and ask God to yeah, give us insight and wisdom. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we pray that you'll teach us, I guess, what life looks like under the sun. Um, help us to gain wisdom and understanding through the study of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us understand. Um, your Holy Spirit um, will speak to us through your words today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The great philosopher Socrates, he once said, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. <laughs> okay, may I ask, when was the last time you took time out to observe and examine life? You know, over the past few years, um, this only started after I got married, but I've developed this somewhat annoying, to Ian especially, somewhat annoying habit. Because sometimes out of the blue, we might be like watching TV or we might be like eating dinner. And then suddenly I'll just ask him, hey, Ian, what do you think is the point of life? Or why do you think people get married? You know, like the divorce rate is really high. I don't know why people keep wanting to get married. Or, hey, Ian, do you, do you, um, why do you think people keep wanting to extend their lives? And Ian used to get really annoyed when I did that because initially he would take that to mean that I was dissatisfied with my life. Like, are you unhappy living with me? Is that why you're asking all these questions? Or that I regretted my life's choices? But he's learned now that I'm actually just a philosopher. This is what I do, right? And it happened so frequently during my six months break um, that Ian was like, oh, stop it. You're just bored. Go find something to do. I guess he didn't really appreciate the philosopher in me. But what about you? How long has it been since you paused to examine life? Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Well, I have good news. Because someone who had time reflected on life for us. Today, we have the privilege of learning from one of the greatest minds the world has ever known. This guy not only had time, he had money, he had status and power. So just to show you that he really has the credentials to teach us, let me list out some of the things he did in his search to understand life. He applied his mind to everything done under the sun in chapter 8 verse 9, including testing life with pleasure. He denied himself no pleasure or anything he desired. We find that out in chapter 2. The things he did um, to test himself with pleasure was he drank as much wine as he wanted. He undertook great projects like building houses and planting vineyards, gardens and parks. He bought lots and lots of slaves to serve him. He owned more herds and cattle than anyone else before him. He amassed great amounts of silver, gold and treasures. And he had entertainers and singers, as well as a harem. So apart from testing himself with pleasure, he also experimented with wisdom and folly. He studied it carefully. He thought about the meaning of work and the results of hard work. He investigated the life of the poor and the wealthy, the life of the righteous man and the wicked, the wider issue of justice and oppression in society, what it means to be young and what it means to be old the problem of death, and the work of God in this world. 
See, that's a pretty impressive list. So if we want to listen to anyone about life, he would be the person to listen to. So who is he? He is the teacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the record of his observations and reflections. And we actually have further clues um, from the rest of the book about who he really is. Um, and we think, like the scholars think, um, that the passage points um, to the teacher being King Solomon, known as the wisest man to have ever been born. So, listen up. The teacher is in the house. And he has some really important things to say about life. So, ready? As we begin at chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, I would love for you to open your Bible and look um, yeah, at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with me. As we begin, we find these shocking words. Verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow, that's a bit heavy. That's a bit negative. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, actually, in this verse, the word that's translated as meaningless is the Hebrew word, havel. Or I might not have said it correctly. It's hevel or something like that. Um, it's spelled H-E-B-E-L in English. It appears a total of 37 times in the whole book and five times in this sentence alone in its original language. The teacher opens with this statement. And in chapter 12, verse 8, he will conclude all his study and research with the same statement. Hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Everything is hevel. So whatever else we learn from the teacher about life, we know that the teacher's central thesis is that life is hevel. But does hevel really mean meaningless? The word actually has a range of meanings. You can just as equally translate hevel as vapor, as breath, or as mist. So just an interesting fun fact. Um, you know hevel is the name given to Adam and Eve's second child. We know as Abel. It's the same word. Abel, hevel. Interesting, isn't it? So why am I spending so much time on this? Because understanding life as hevel is the central theme of Ecclesiastes, and how you translate this word will slightly change your take on the emphasis and the tone of Ecclesiastes in general. I have three pictures of what hevel is. Number one, hevel can mean, uh, is that the first one? Breath? Yes, okay. <laughs> Hevel can mean breath. Okay, breath is the second most frequent translation for this word when it appears in the NIV Bible. If verse 3 reads like this, breath, breath, says the teacher, utterly breathy, everything is breath. What then would you think is the point that the, that the teacher is trying to make? So please turn to the person next to you and have like a 30-second conversation. If it's breath, what do you think the teacher is trying to emphasize about life? 
Smelly? Okay, that's a, not an answer I expected. Okay. Um, second thing, Hevel can mean vapor. What do you think the teacher is trying to say about life here? If Hevel means vapor. Or what if it's mist? What do you think it's saying about life? Mist, vapor, and breath. Now that she said smelly, it just keeps coming into my mind. But this mist, vapor, and breath have one thing in common. What do they have in common? It's a picture of something being temporary, something that's transient. It's here now. You can feel the effects of it now, and yet it is gone in the next moment. It's fleeting. It's something that you can't truly grasp because it escapes through your fingers. Something that you can't pin down or hold on to. It's here and then it's gone. Vapor, mist. They also give you the idea of not being able to see through. When, like a fog. Not being able to see clearly. Life is hard to understand. Hard to pin down. And because life is mist, vapor and breath. There are some things that you may try to do to it that would render the exercise meaningless. For example, if you try to catch mist and put it in the bag, or you can try, but that's meaningless. Or you can try to control mist to go wherever you want or make it last longer than it would. Well, good luck with that. Maybe if you're Storm from X-Men or if you have access to the harp facility. But usually, you know, that would be a meaningless activity. Or if you say while being in the mist, I want to see what's on the other side. Well, that would be a pointless exercise because you can't. So you see, in these circumstances, it is right to translate Hebel with the extended meaning of meaningless. Sometimes it's not really about the pointlessness of the exercise, but the absurdity, the silliness, the irrationality of the action. And in other parts of the Bible, this is a really fun fact as well, Hebel is often used to describe people who try to rely on idols and false gods. It is meaningless. It's absurd because these gods are not gods and they can't really help you at all. So this is what I think. When we read Ecclesiastes, it would be a really good practice to read all the meaningless words as vapor or mist to start with. Then, depending on the context, you may decide what the teacher is trying to say with the use of Hebel in that particular context. Is he trying to say that life is momentary and fleeting? Or that it's blurry and difficult to figure out? Or is he trying to stay ambiguous? Well, actually, he may want to stay ambiguous because that is exactly his view of life. It is ambiguous and it is difficult to understand, it is unclear. So, after declaring that life is Hebel, he moves on to consider the question in verse 3. In verse 3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? The word gain here means something like profit or lasting benefit. And this is another one of those key words. It appears many times in the Bible. The word labor and toil has the same root word, and it is used to refer to hard, strenuous work, something difficult, something really painful. 
So we could rephrase the sentence like this. What lasting benefit does a man get from all the difficult toils he toils under the sun? Do you feel that life is hard and work is difficult? It seems that no matter what we do, we need to put in a lot of effort. And have you wondered, what's the point of all of this? The teacher responds to it with a series of observations on the, cycle, on the cycles of nature, verses 4 to 8. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back where, to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. The world, the teacher observes, is stuck in an endless cycle, which seems to go on and on for no apparent purpose. And human beings are caught in this cycle. We are part of it, a cog in a big wheel. And our hard labor and difficult toil seems to add nothing to these cycles, nor can we do anything to change or alter it. These cycles will continue to go on and on until we don't know when, despite our activities or even inactivity. In addition to that, where compared to the permanence of the earth and its natural cycles, human life seems so momentary and fleeting. I'm not sure if you noticed this, um, but people in our world really like this idea that we can change the world. Google executive Eric Schmidt once said that their goal at Google is precisely that, to change the world. And apparently, when Steve Jobs asked John Scully to leave Pepsi to come and to become the president of Apple, he also tempted him with these words. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar drinks to children? Or do you want the chance to change the world? So attractive. And millennials love that, apparently. According to research, millennials are three times more likely to change jobs than other people because they feel that they are not making an impact in their current work. Sometimes they've only been in that job for three months. And sometimes it's not about changing the world. It's about leaving a legacy. People hope that they will somehow be remembered by generations of people after them or that they will somehow leave a mark in history. So there's a Chinese proverb that I'd like to show you. It's called Qing Shi Liu Ming, which means to have your names written down in the annals of history. And this mattered a lot to the ancient Chinese. To them, leaving behind a good reputation after they die, or to have one's name recorded in the annals of history, is considered to be one of the highest honors a person can ever hope to attain in life. And yet, to be honest, for the majority of the human race, our lives don't really make a dent anywhere in the big scheme of things. We are simply part of a cycle. We come and we go. Our existence is so brief, our entire generation so fleeting. Yet even if we do achieve fame, even if our names are recorded in history, what real lasting gain is there? I'd like to share a song, um, not that I'm going to sing, but just an excerpt for this, from um, 
the famous musical, a musical that I like really a, a lot, um, Les Miserables, or Les Miserables. Um, there's a song called Turning. It's actually at the end um, of the, or actually in the film, it doesn't have this song, but in the musical, it had this song. Okay. And this is what it says. Nothing changes, nothing ever will. Every year, another brat, another mouth to fill. Same old story. What's the use of tears? What's the use of praying if there's nobody who hears? Okay, that's wrong, but anyway. Turning, 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 turning through the years. Turning. Okay, I began singing. Okay. Turning, turning, turning through the years. Minutes into hours and hours into years. Nothing changes. Nothing ever can. Round and round and round about and back where you began. Round and round and back where you began. And this isn't just talking about individuals, but whole generations of people, even civilizations. No matter how great they are, they are just part of that cycle. So who here has seen the movie Apocalypto? Anyone? Oh, only a few of us. Hmm, it, it is a pretty, is it R-rated? Maybe. It has, it has some pretty violent things in there. Okay, in this movie, the Mayan civilization was the superpower of their day. It was the greatest empire at that time, and but their civilization was starting to crumble because of a disease. So in an effort to stop the disease from spreading and to save the empire, they started raiding villages for people to become human sacrifices. Okay, that's bad. Don't do that. Okay, they raided the main character, Jaguar Paul's village, and he they captured everyone. Through a series of events, Jaguar Paul was able to escape. But his enemies pursued him and pursued him until they came to a halt at the beach. But there, the Mayan pursuers suddenly lost interest in catching their prey because they saw something. I wonder if you know what they saw. There, parked at the shore, were Spanish ships and accompanying the ships, the arrival of the new superpower. And so, and so it all begins again. The hunters become the hunted. One empire rises only to be taken over by another. And on and on and on we go. Generations after generation. Nothing changes. Nothing ever will. Just as the song in Let Me Says. It's round and round and round about and back where you begin. History repeats itself. There's also something else that's rather interesting. Something, you know, uh, somehow we are sold the idea that every generation is more advanced than the generations before them. Probably because of the theory of evolution or something like that. <laughs> we think that human society is advancing, that there's some fundamental difference between our current generation and the people maybe who lived 1,000 years ago. The fact is we do have new technologies, yes, we now have smartphones instead of landlines. We have emails instead of um, writing letters. But behind the technologies is the fundamental desire for human beings to communicate. There is no real fundamental advancement or change. Yes, people used to light fires at night. Then candles replaced bonfires, then light bulbs, and now LED. But their purpose is all the same, in order to light up the dark. We may live very differently to the way people used to live before, but all our efforts do not and cannot change life's fundamental cycles. And these cycles include birth, 
toil, and death. And so the teacher observes in verses 8 to 11, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Sad. It all sounds and feels a bit pointless, insignificant, meaningless, absurd. What gain do we get from all the difficult work we do in our lifetime? Nothing that is significant or long-lasting. Tim Keller, he's a a really good preacher. Um, He puts it well in his book, Every Good Endeavor. This is what he says. Whether quickly or slowly, all the results of our toil will be wiped away by history. The person who takes the business after you or who picks up the cause or organization after you may undo all you have done. Of course, some history makers have brought inventions or innovations that stay with the human race for a long time. But those persons are very rare and and eventually even the most famous will not be long remembered. Since everything and every accomplishment under the sun will be ground to dust in the end, even civilization itself. All work, even the most historic, will eventually be forgotten and its impact totally neutralized. Sad. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the true nature of things under the sun. This is the true nature of living in a world after the fall of Adam and Eve. The earth is cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin and death makes everything insignificant. So as long as the world continues to exist in its current state, the cycles will too. But, this is when we love the but, all is not lost. While knowing the truth may make us feel sorrowful, verse 18, it is still better than living in ignorance, verse 13, because knowing the truth will teach us to live in light with reality. Since there's nothing we can do to change this fact, the best thing is to accept it and learn to live with the cycle. So here are some implications we can draw from our life examination with Solomon. Firstly, um, what we must take away from life being Havel is that we are not in control. It's good for us to have this reality check every single day. Because we are good at, re- at arranging our lives in ways that milk- make us feel that we are in control. For example, who watches um, the Big Bang Theory here? Okay. Sad, I gotta educate you guys or something. Okay, anyway. Um, okay, Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory um, is someone who takes control to the extreme, okay? The temperature of the room where he, where he sits on the couch, which restaurants to get takeaway from, down to the precise time he would go to the toilet, and even he, he even has a bowel movement spreadsheet on his apartment fridge. Sheldon is a guy who likes to be in control over his life. 
However, in one of the episodes, Sheldon's um, whole life was thrown into chaos when his hairdresser was hospitalized and wasn't able to cut his hair. No matter how much effort Sheldon put into regulating his life, he was unable to stop others or events from having a drastic effect over his world. Acknowledging that we are not in control, I believe, will help us navigate through life. It's a fundamental attitude change that we need. Related to that is that we must learn to live in the moment. People can have three tendencies. There are those who like to live in the past. You know, maybe you know one of these. They always talk about the past, things they did in the past, good things or bad times in the past. So, so much so that they're not really here in the present. But there are those who love to live in the future. They think about what their life would be like, dreaming about their future home, their future job, their future spouse. They do that so much that they stop being aware of what's going on in their lives now. But we are not in control of the future. All that planning and dreaming may, may actually result in nothing. But meanwhile, we would have missed out on the opportunities in the present to really live well and enjoy life. And this is what happened to me. About a month or two before I moved into my current apartment uh, three years ago, um, I was a bit like that, you know. Um, I spent so much time daydreaming about what life would be like in my own place. It was so extreme, like I took it to the extreme. I tried to make a replica of um, the current place I live in on The Sims, okay? <laughs> Just so that I could play around with different colors, different furniture, schemes, and decoration. So once again, thank God that um, Ian was there to stop me. Stop wasting time and stop hogging my PS4, Ian told me. So I had to abandon my project midway. And you know what? My moving experience totally proved the point that I was not in control. Um, I was not in control of the future. And all the planning and daydreaming actually did result in almost nothing. Because when I went furniture shopping with Ian, he, he kept saying, Oh, you've got really bad taste. I don't want that in the room. I don't want that in the house. You can't buy that. That's the wrong color. No, it has to be like exactly this. So, you know, all that time wasted. Anyway. Second, secondly, one of the most important lessons we must, we must learn from Ecclesiastes is that we need to stop seeing life as gain and to start understanding life as gift. Gain, gift. While there are no lasting benefits, our toils can bring us some good short-term gifts, such as money we earn from work, satisfaction in accomplishments, delicious food, mm -hmm, and rewarding relationships. And they are all good. These are good gifts God has given to us to help alleviate some of the burdens um, of life. Chapter 3, verse 13 tells us this, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Live in the moment. Acknowledge life as a gift from God. Be thankful in your attitude and enjoy the money, the food, the beautiful flowers, a more toned body and other personal achievements. Be glad and celebrate. In fact, there may come a time when you are no longer able to enjoy the work of your labor. It's very possible living life under the sun. Whatever it is that you have, it may be gone tomorrow. Scary thought. So, let us seize the day. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life today with thankfulness to God. And while you do so, please keep these two things in mind. One, 
Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. I think that's the next slide. Okay, no. Sorry. Okay. Fear God and keep His commandments. Um, chapter 12, verse 13. And remember that God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So enjoy your life. Be thankful. Know that it is a gift from God. Live in the present. But remember that you will be, um, you will be standing before the throne of God, giving account to Him. Knowing life is Havel will also help us to learn that while God gives gifts to us to enjoy, we should not try to live our lives for these gifts, nor to grasp hold on to it or set our hopes in them. Whatever gift, job, money, even life, we must set it against the backdrop of this cycle. It will not last. Don't try to grasp hold on to it. It will be like grasping mist. Whatever we gain from our toils, they are only temporary. We will feel its effect for a while, like breath or vapor, but they will be gone. I think knowing this will actually free us to be more generous in sharing what we have. It is a gift from God. We can enjoy it now, but we cannot keep it. So why not share with others generously? Perhaps one day when yours is gone, someone else can share their gifts with you. Finally, brothers and sisters, it is important to remember while the teacher says, uh, what the teacher says about life under the sun is important and truthful, it is not the final word. For there is one who sits enthroned above the sun, and he who is above the sun has stepped into this world in order to usher in a new age, a new era. Through him comes a true fundamental change that will one day break the cycle of the world as we know. The Son of God, Jesus, has come to alter life under the sun. Life under the sun, S-U-N, is not the final word for us who live under the authority of the sun, S-O-N. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only one who has broken free of the cycle by resurrecting from the dead. And Jesus will come back soon to end the cycle once and for all. At the end of the book of Revelation, John sees this beautiful picture of a new heavens and new earth. The old heaven and the old earth has passed away. And in this picture, there is God. He is seated on his throne. And this is what he declares to us. Behold, I am making all things new. This is our hope. Life under the sun will be no more. In fact, there will be no more sun because God himself will be our light. Do you want this day to come? I want to finish by showing you a promotional video made by AFES. I used to work for them. Um, and it was for their national conference in 2016. Um, the theme of the conference was all things new. Let's enjoy. <laughs> 